second reading comes from Hebrews uh, chapter 10, starting from verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us, un- let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who, has, who promised his faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward and love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who who was treated as the unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace, For we knew him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. G'day, I'm Bob Pickworth, for those that don't know me. I met uh, Gary this morning, so um, he's someone that I didn't know before today. So I thought I'd share something with you this morning, thanks Christian, something that's probably been on all your minds. You've probably wondered uh, what Jesus looks like. Well, that's Jesus, according to my six-year-old granddaughter. And I said, uh, Charlie, um, explain, um, explain Jesus to me. And she said, well, I really, I don't know what Jesus looks like, but that's what I think he looks like. That's six-year-old logic. But he must be really old because he's got lots of hair. I said, oh, that's interesting. Um, but he's got, he's got big eyes so he can see everything everywhere. And he's got ears to hear everything we say and do. And I thought, yeah, well, that's probably not a bad perception of Jesus. Um, so last week, Jeff was talking to us about righteousness, being right with God and how important it is to finish, to stand, to be there, to get over the line, so to speak. And if we read through um, the armour of God, Ephesians, Ephesians or Galatians? Ephesians 5? Yeah, always get Ephesians and Galatians mixed up. Ephesians 5, it gives us a, um, an overview of what, uh, uh, what the armour of God is. And we've got the belt of truth around our waist, because that's the most vulnerable part of our body. Our, our chest cavity is um, protected by our rib cage, but our gut cavity isn't. And um, to be uh, assaulted in the stomach is um, it's a very vulnerable area. So the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate protects our heart, 
Bible tells us where your heart is, your treasure will be also, and the things that you treasure reflect your heart. So the breastplate of righteousness being right with God. Uh, our feet that we stand with are fitted with the gospel of readiness, being prepared and willing to share our faith. Uh, and the shield of faith to ward off the fiery darts of the devil. Medieval times, um, shields were usually fairly big. They're made of wood, but they're covered with leather. And they were soaked in water before battle, which made them pretty heavy, but it also meant that the fiery darts, and the fiery darts, or firebrands, were often dipped in tar, so that when they hit, they, sp sorry, when they, hit, they spread and splatter. Uh, if you've ever uh, had burning plastic or anything on you, um, uh, to spread it, yeah. So the the water puts that out on the on the leather, and then the bit that does the thinking, or should do the thinking, our our brain, the helmet of salvation, the blood of Christ to uh, protect us. Hmm. Uh, so there's a little image of uh, uh, Iron Man standing, and then standing. So he's pretty weak, actually, Iron Man. What what gives him his strength is his outer shield. Uh, I think it's uh, Nitron brings him down. So he's pretty strong most of the time. Okay, if we could go to the next slide please, Christian. So um, this is a picture of a Japanese pot. And that pot has some beautiful aggrandizement. It's been aggrandized or it's been beautified with those uh, lines lines of gold and the lines of gold is actually where the pot's been broken it's been dropped and broken and it's been put back together by the master potter and the potter's used very precious um, gold to put what is a relatively uh, useful but not all that fantastic looking pot and like us when we're broken the spirit of god the blood of jesus can put us back together and we're not only more useful but we're more beautiful afterwards. A, a Japanese philosophy um, in medieval times when a woman uh, was getting prepared to be married at 13 or 14, uh, she'd start accumulating pots and pans and uh, the, the glory chest thing and uh, she took them into the marriage. So her, her pots were very precious course that's what she used to provide for the family. If she was from a wealthy family she might have had metal uh, pots but generally they were clay and they, they were still expensive and if you dropped them they were no longer useful but rather than discard them and throw them out the Japanese used the principle of kintsugi and rebuilt the pot and made it into something useful but also uh, more beautiful. So um, the passage that's the focus for today is Hebrews 10 23 and 24 which says stir up one another to love and good works encourage one another all the more as the day draws near and don't neglect to meet with each other which is what we're doing now so the concept of encouragement occurs physically we're here we're encouraging one another by our presence and we also seek to encourage one another uh, with our words and with our actions uh, but we can only do that when we're in community. It's hard to encourage one another when there's no uh, communication. Um, yep. um, 
Hebrews 4.12 says, Though one can be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord with many strands is not easily broken. Um, I like fishing. Sometimes I wonder if I'm better off sitting in a boat thinking about God or in church thinking about fishing and then I realise I really am broken and I need to get my priorities right. But, um, but when, when you're fishing, the fishing line that is um, all the go at the moment is called braid. It's made of ethyl polypropylene or EPP and uh, it's made up of lots of little strands that are wound together uh, and it's incredibly thin compared to what's called mono or mono fishing line which is just one strand of nylon um, and it doesn't stretch and it's very abrasion resistant and it's very strong so for instance people that go out fishing for marlin would use 35 pound uh, line to catch a five six hundred pound marlin so it has incredible uh, strength lengthwise. Of course there are many cords in there. That's the principle of a church. Stir up one another, encourage one another all the more. As a, um, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be also. Uh, could we have the next slide please? So nobody knows who Joan Benoit is, I don't think, other than the fact that you now know that she was the winner of the first women's marathon. 1984 America, first time women were allowed to run the marathon. Prior to that, they were considered uh, not, not able to finish a 42-kilometre, uh, 365-metre race because they're women. And of course, women are not as strong as men, so why have a race for women that they probably won't finish anyway? Um, that was reviewed in 1984, thankfully, and the first race was, was won by Joan Benoit. Very few people remember her, but the woman who came second last, who came 44th uh, of the 55 starters, was Gabrielle Anderson Sheese. Next one. And Gabrielle Sheese staggered over the line. Lots of people, who, who's seen that YouTube? Yeah, you've seen it. If you haven't, go home and YouTube um, Gabrielle Anderson Sheese or uh, women's first marathon or 1980, you'll find it. Uh, and it was amazing. When she came in for the last two laps, the last 800 metres, she ran about 1,200 metres, not 800, because she went all over the... She stayed in the lines or she would have been disqualified. People ran up to help her and she said, no, don't, I'm going to finish, I'm going to finish. If she'd have finished on her hands and knees, which she looked like she was probably going to do. She would have got over the line. It still would have been a... If anyone had touched her, offered her a drink, in any way supported her, she would have been disqualified. She didn't want anyone to go near her. A lot of uh, people criticise the, um, the officials for letting her finish that race because she was obviously in such distress. But... One of them had the nous to realise she was still perspiring, still sweating, which meant she wasn't dehydrated, she wasn't cramping. But to, to watch her run, or stagger, was amazing. The rest of the, um, the um, spectators stood up and clapped and cheered her as she got over the line and then they carried her um, for medical support and help. She was walking around two hours later. Fine. That's, it's, a, it's a magnificent image of the Christian race. 
course, we're all broken, we're all fallen, we all stagger. But Jeff reminded us last week the call to finish. Starting's important, many start. Not everyone finish. She finished, there were 50 starters. She finished uh, second last of, of 44. So a lot of people pulled out of that race. And they trained, they were prepared. They'd, I've, I've run some marathons. Um, I used to teach at um, Nepean uh, Christian School. And uh, not once a week, but about once a fortnight, I used to run from, I, well, I used to get from my place at Tennyson uh, to, um, to Mulgoal, which was 43 k's. Uh, and when, when you're running a marathon, you get to about the 30k mark and you hit the wall, you bonk out, and all you want to do is just chuck the towel in, sit down and cry wider. But others in the race, you see, you see people half your age, or worse, twice your age, going past you, and you think, if they can do it, I can do it. I put in the time, I've prepared, I'm hydrated, I got to bed early, I, I can do this. And, it's, and you get over the line, <sighs> I made it. It's, it's a great feeling. I've also been in uh, races when I haven't finished and I felt disappointed, disillusioned, beguiled, uh, annoyed with myself that I could have, but I didn't and I should have. Why didn't I? And for those of us to see our brothers and sisters not finish, to chuck the towel in, to give their faith away, it tears a bit of your heart out because they're our brothers and sisters. Such a struggle when it's people in your own family, sons, daughters, maybe even parents, cousins. But I don't know what the answer to that is other than to trust God, to love God, raise up a child in the way he shall go and when he's old he shall not depart from it or he will return to it, he or she of course. So that image of um, Gabrielle Anderson Sheese getting over the line, broken, crushed but not perplexed. It's a, it's a great image. Um, could we have the next one, please, Christian? Okay, those people who ride push bikes or anybody that's been in a headwind knows the advantage of slipstreaming someone. Um, echelon comes from uh, the Romans. The Romans used to uh, march used to march in formation, they used to echelon. So what happens, the guy at the front, that's uh, at the pointy end, takes 71% of the headwind. The fella behind is doing 71% less work than the fella in front of him. Now, if you're at the front, you can't stay there long. So what happens is the fella at the, at the front moves across. When he moves across, the fella behind moves up and you get a conveyor belt effect until the fellow at the very end at the back, he's doing, he's just rolling, just keeping the pedals going. What's really hard is if you get dropped off the back to try and get back on, because you've got the full weight. Again, that image of uh, Christians together, meeting together, praying together, encouraging one another, Bible study, going out, spending time together. Beautiful image there. Next slide. Um, you've probably seen the straw-necked ibis going over in August and for weeks you'll see these V formations of them 
uh, heading northwest. And the same principle. These are geese, they're not, um, they're not straw-necked ibis, but we get the straw-necked ibis here that migrate across. Um, we don't have many geese in New South Wales. We have a few other than the ones people keep in their backyard, Emdons and Chinese and Toulouse and other ones, but we get uh, a wood duck. We call them wood ducks. They're actually maned geese. They're not a, they're not a duck at all. Ducks nest on the ground. Uh, geese normally nest in uh, trees or on, on water nests. So same thing happens with the geese, but they're, God's made them amazingly um, uh, perceptive. Now, these animals have a brain the size of their brain the size of their eyeball, not our eyeball. Our eyeball's pretty big compared to them. When I'm out fishing, never ceases to amaze me how an animal with a brain the size of a grain of rice can outsmart me. And I can't catch it. Well, geese, geese are kind of the same. But what happens, the goose, or we could go back to that slide. Geese, um, the goose at the front, when he's getting tired, he honks and moves across and the goose on his right moves forward. And they always do it in a anti-clockwise direction. Don't know why, but they, so the goose behind takes uh, the brunt of the wind and, and they echelon until the, the goose at the back left moves across to the right and they go through it again. Now sometimes, um, what, and how, how the geese work is, as they're flapping their wings, they, they create an updraft. And that updraft creates a high pressure system behind them as well, which also helps drag the goose behind forward. Goose at the very back has a bit of a tailwind. Um, the efficiency with vehicles, cars for instance, are, are fairing at the front, produces quite a lot of aerodynamic efficiency. But having a, um, an airfoil or a um, fairing at the back also helps with what happens with the wind. So the goose at the, at the second back, if he feels that there's an increase in the pressure behind him. He knows the goose behind him's dropped off behind, so he honks him. Come on, mate, hurry up, get on the tail. And the other geese hear him honking, so they honk too, and they honk the fella at the back, back into, oh, girl, back into the V formation. Now, if, if it's been hit by a hunter, tired, old, or young, can't keep up and they, they drop off and go down. They don't go down by themselves. Two of the other geese from the formation buddy up with them and they go down to either keep them company while they rebuild their strength or they die if they're um, really weak. Because they, they um, migrate thousands of kilometres and when they're migrating they don't feed. They feed up before they go. Um, Geese migrate over a period of time. They don't all get up and fly off in one go. So there's always an echelon behind coming. And when, when the goose is recovered, they take off and they join the next echelon. It's a bit like us as, um, as a community. Um, we, we share uh, God's spirit. We can worship anywhere where Christ crucified is, is preached and honoured. And whether it's at St Peter's, Richmond Anglican or somewhere else, if our God is the God that's being worshipped, we're worshipping with other fellow believers as part of the body 
of Christ, and that's an encouragement too. Sometimes it's really interesting to go to other churches and see how, how their worship happens. Um, so if we go on to the next slide, thanks Christian. Now, that's, that's the main geese. Who's never seen a wood duck? Yeah, they're really common around our area. Um, since we've now got water back in our dam, the uh, wood ducks, the main geese, have started to come back. And sometimes in the morning I go out on the balcony, have a coffee, read my Bible, I hear pitch, pitch, and I can watch all the wood ducks come down and stick their feet out and, and land on the, on the dam. It's a, it's a lovely sound. Um, so that's the, that's the mother duck. The, the male, the drake, has a green, a, a crimsony, ready green on uh, the back of their wings. That's, that's quite a big um, clutch. Now, these guys don't make a nest on the ground. They nest in um, hollows of trees. And if we go to the next slide, you'll see um, a couple of little guys there on the left making their first leap of faith. And what a leap of faith it is, because they nest about 10, 15 metres off the ground, um, not away from... Um, lace monitors, goannas or uh, tree pythons, but away from most of the other prey that get them around here, foxes, cats, feral dogs. Um, the two that are up the top, I don't know how well you can see it, they're kind of thinking, yeah, little guy in front of me is ready to go, the one in front of him's already gone, the mother's down on the ground. When the eggs start to hatch, she feels them hatching, she hops out of the, uh, out of the hollow, goes down to the ground and she goes around quite distressed, honking the babies out of the nest until the first one goes. Now, when they hit the ground, their wings aren't developed, they can't fly. In fact, um, when they're first hatched, you can walk up to them and they'll just crouch down. You can literally pick them up, they don't even try and get away. Both the parents act like they've got a broken wing and they limp around to try and draw you away from them. Um, and they get quite distressed if you do touch the babies. Um, but when they hit the ground, it's quite a tumble. I've watched some of the Attenborough ones in Alaska where some of the geese over there are up on craggy rock faces and they go hundreds of feet rolling down the cliffs. But when they hit the bottom, they give themselves a shake. They, mum comes over and honks at them and the babies talk to one another they, and, and they're okay. And we all take a tumble. The advantage of having Christian brethren is when things are getting tough, we, we got each other to back each other up, got our back, so to speak. Um, one of the fellas at the nine o'clock service I hadn't, hadn't seen for three or four weeks, so I gave him a ring, just, oh, where are you? Um, I haven't preached for uh, five years, had a bad bike accident, had a head-on with a car and had a bit of an amputation uh, of my um, foot. Um, and when I got out of hospital, I, I was really encouraged by people that came to see me from church. It was a wonderful thing. Um, I, I was a, a bit disillusioned and I didn't really feel like going to Bible study anymore. Phil who's not here today, Phil Whitaker, rang me up and said, I haven't seen you at Bible study, why not? I said, oh, gee, that's a bit blunt, mate. And he said, yeah, well, why aren't you there? And I said, oh, well, no reason really. He said, good, see you next week. And now, um, wounds from a brother bring healing. 
that, that tumble when we hit the ground isn't always a lot of fun, but if there are others there to support and encourage us, has the benefit of stirring us on to love and good works. And stirring's not fun. I don't like getting stirred or shaken. So encouragement's not only kind, affirming, nice words, they, they can be blunt words. And it's not always easy to receive that criticism, but gee, sometimes we need it. Next slide, please, mate. So why do we stir up one another to love and good works and encourage one another? Because the day is coming. What day? Well, I interpret that one of two ways. Now, I'm just a poor, simple farm boy. I'm, I'm not a theologian, but I interpret this as meaning one of two things. <clears throat> the day is the end times. Now, you don't know when your end time's going to be. I certainly don't. I've been hit by lightning, should have killed me. Had a head-on car accident. I was doing 70, the car hit me at 80. It was a head-on. I should be dead, I'm not. That was an impact of 150 k's. I've had cholera, could have died uh, from that. And I had a pump explode, cooked me, put me on a life support system uh, for four weeks in the burns unit. I, I could have been dead on any of those. I don't know why I'm not, but I'm still here. You hear all the time of uh, people that have heart attacks, strokes, get hit by cars. Well, that terrible event, uh, the, um, it, well, you hear it all the time in the news, domestic violence that results in, in death. We do not know when that day is. So much more important for us to encourage one another and stir one another up. If we're receiving stuff that's not a lot of fun to receive, maybe that's the spirit prompting us to love and good works. The other, the other interpretation I put on as the day draws near is Satan is prowling around like a ravenous wolf, wolf seeking to, um, to devour. He's a thief and he's a liar and he'll use whatever means he can to distract us from serving God and, and loving each other. And sheep aren't that smart. I've got sheep at home and um, they're, they're not that smart. You, you can put a, a, a railing out over an open um, laneway and the first sheep will jump over and you can pull the the, um, the uh, stick log whatever obstruction you put there and the other 1500 sheep will just jump over what the first sheep jumped over there's nothing there but they saw the first one do it so sheep aren't that smart we're a bit like sheep we don't always see what's coming that's the advantage of having each other to encourage us and that encouragement sometimes can 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 be hard to take, but like that kintsugi pot, the brokenness being put together by the blood of Christ makes us into something more beautiful and more useful as a result of that. Um, so encouragement we give to each other. We shouldn't seek it. Um, and ultimately, our encouragement comes from our God, from, from Jesus. People will let us down. Gee, you let yourself down in a race. Oh, I can finish this. Nah, oh, there's a coffee shop there. I'll nick in and watch everybody else. You know, we, we, we even discourage ourselves. So just to, to um, give you uh, something to be prompted by, to think about, uh, Pete's going to give you a little 
V for victory little reminder of the geese, what they do and why they do it. And if you reflect on that uh, for you, how we stir up one another, encourage one another uh, to love and good works all the more as the day draws near, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Heavenly Father, thanks for your word. We pray that the truth of, our, of that will go deep into our hearts and prompt us to love you more and each other more. Amen.